I'm Claire Cable, Chief Executive and Nurse Director of the Queen's Nursing Institute Scotland. QNIS has been supporting community nursing in midwifery since our inception in 1889. While our work may have changed since then, we continue to support and champion community nursing and midwifery at the heart of enabling health and recovery in every community in Scotland. As caring professionals, we often neglect our own self-care, which when unchecked over time can lead to burnout. These pressures are exacerbated by the current stress of unprecedented demand on our health and care services. And we're seeing the impact on individuals, families and colleagues. We can't change the world as individuals, but collectively we can create healthful, person-centered workplace cultures. To do that, we need to be present, which requires taking time to check in with ourselves. This series of podcasts seeks to inform and inspire, to help you reflect on your own health and consider what you need to stay well in these turbulent times. It's an opportunity to pause and take a few minutes for yourself. Today we're talking about self-care and boundaries and I am absolutely delighted to have with us Hilda Campbell and uh, I'm just going to ask you Hilda to to say hi uh, and maybe just tell us a bit about yourself. Thanks Claire and thanks for inviting me along today. This is a really important subject because when we're caring for others it really matters that we also look after ourselves. My professional background is mental health nursing, my academic background is social sciences and my ongoing CPD is training, community development, co-production and design, suicide prevention, really anything where I can learn more so that when I'm working with others together we can find better ways to help people suffer less. Many of the challenges that cause distress nowadays aren't clinical in origin, it's life life-causing anxiety, life-causing burnout, life-causing low mood. And this is especially true when we work in caring professions. We're not immune to the same trials and tribulations as everybody else, but yet we have to smile and the show must go on. So this opportunity to offer some tips that may remind you that you matter too, um, I appreciate. Great, thanks, Hilda. Um, and I wonder if you just say a bit more about why you feel self-care is so essential for all of those who work in the health and care system. If we think about a plane which is in distress and the oxygen masks come down, we put our own mask on first, not because we're selfish, but because if we've passed out, we can't help anyone else. And Sometimes people think self-care, and it's great, I mean, going to meditate up a mountain, that's marvellous, but it's not something that you can kind of do every day. So it's how to make self-care just part of your life, like brushing your teeth, washing your face, because these two are self-care, making sure that you're getting enough water. It's ensuring that your body, mind and emotions are at their peak. We hear about mental load, the amount of things that we have to think about. 
And that can range from, oh, ran out of milk, need to make sure I go to the shop before I go home, to Mrs. So-and-so's test results are coming in today. She's really anxious about it. What can I do to help ease her anxiety? And all points in between. With also an emotional load. Now, if we're struggling financially, then it might be, I can't afford to go to the shops just now. I am worried how Mrs. So-and-so is going to feel because I have compassion, I care, because I know the results aren't the results that she was looking for. So we have a mental load and we have an emotional load. And just like a physical load, when you're carrying that for a long period of time, you become exhausted. Self-care doesn't mean we don't have to carry the load because sometimes that's the job that we come into. But it's about, do I have to carry all this load just now? Do I need to carry it this far? Can I ask for help? And self-care gives us that opportunity to pause and think, wait a minute, does it have to be this hard? Because sometimes we're in the midst of it. It just feels like we're stuck in a hamster wheel going round and round and round. Self-care is a way to remind us, whoa, I'm not a machine. I need to look after me too so that I can be there for others. And I just think that's so important, but it's so easy to lose sight of. It makes absolute sense. Um, and yet it's the kind of thing that we preach to others. Uh, we look after the others in our team. Uh, we tell them how they need to take time. And somehow it's really hard to actually do it for me. I wonder if you could, uh, you know, maybe share a bit about how you've managed to actually, to actually persuade yourself <laughs> that you need to do it for you, whilst you're busy uh, sharing how important it is for others to do that. I think probably one of the most powerful things for me was a few years ago. I was fortunate enough to do an eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction course led by a psychiatrist from Gap Naval Hospital. And we had secured funding. It was Mindfulness Scotland who were actually running the course. And it was all colleagues from health and social care. And it was a, it was quite an intense course because there was a lot of reflection that was there. And the one thing that I took a bit away from that was I became very aware of my respirations. I became very aware of how fast I was breathing. So my resting breath could be 17, 18, 19 rests a minute at rest. And when I did the mindfulness course, I became really aware, wow, I'm virtually panting. Um, no wonder I feel stressed at times. So I, my mindfulness practice is really focused on how, how often I breathe per minute. And my average breathing rate now is about seven or eight a minute and that's regardless of what I'm doing. So I'm used now to breathing very slowly. If I notice what I'm starting to breathe, then the mindfulness has made me think what's going on, what's happening, why am I feeling like this? And then I'll take that moment. Another thing that I do is I've got this idea of a battery exercise where one, your flat's a pancake, 10, you've got heaps of energy, and every day I'll score myself. Now, 10, I don't feel like 10 every day, neither I do. Six, seven, eight, I'm actually quite happy with. If it's at six, though, that means it's sliding down, so I will look at where am I putting my energy? How do I top my energy back up again? 
And what am I wasting my energy? And I think that's one of the things that we can find in work is that we, we sometimes find ourselves doing things that doesn't make sense. Our teams maybe find they're doing things that doesn't make sense. And creating that space to look at that together and say, is there another way that we can do it? What would that be? Oh, no, there isn't enough way we can do it. So is there a way that we can get it done where it doesn't make us feel so bad? But it is a wicked question. How do we show compassion for ourselves while simultaneously showing compassion for others? And I'm convener of a staff wellbeing group within the Q community, which is open to guests. And if anyone wants to come along to that, they're more than welcome. And that's one of the things that we're exploring is that paradox of we know what it is we need to do, but it's making time to do it. And that's why I think sometimes it's small things, making sure that you're hydrated, making sure that you listen to your body when you need to go to the toilet, making sure that you listen to your mind when you just need to take a moment to pause and to become aware of your body, where your tension is and things that you can do that can help relax it. Hilda, I'm completely inspired by the fact that you have brought your respiratory rate down from kind of 17, 18 down to kind of, uh, you know, six or seven. I just think that is absolutely extraordinary. I I have been uh, practicing mindfulness for many years. And when I am in, when I'm meditating, I can bring my respiratory rate right down. Um, but recently I bought, a, you know, one of those smart watches and um, it's telling me that my average respiratory rate, even through sleeping, is around 17. So the fact that you have actually made that, uh, that difference that is sustained through, you know, normal life, not just during the periods while you're meditating, uh, that uh, feels really remarkable that uh, you have managed to, to to make that really significant shift. I think that's why it's called mindfulness practice. It was a conscious effort um, because at times I was having panic attacks through stress. Now, I'm in charge of an organisation, heading up a team, working with the public, maybe with someone who's very distressed. I didn't have the luxury of having a panic attack. So it was like, okay... <laughs> the show must go on we're inside it was like the show's not going on at all so my motivation I suppose it's built of the oxygen mask um, my motivation was so that I could remain calm in what we're challenging circumstances and if people listening to this haven't tried some of the capacitor practices I would highly recommend have a look at them also there's the finger hold exercise um, I find is really helpful. That's something, that's a kind of first aid for me. So if I'm in a situation where I'm becoming quite... <laughs> then I'll just do a little subtle finger hold. Remember my breathing. And before I know it, I'm back to being calm. Now, the reason why it's called practice is because it does take time. And you have to, be, you have to find that motivation. Um, but my motivation was also for my own cardio. You know, because I enjoy chocolate. I'm not exactly somebody that goes hiking. So from my cardio's point of view, I have to think, right, what can I do to keep my lungs and heart in good condition? Yes, I have to be active, but I'm not going to the gym and things. 
So I need to look at other ways that I can be kind to my ticker um, and not put it under undue pressure. No, that's uh, that's uh, really impressive. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm truly uh, in awe of that one. And uh, something, it just reminds me to continue that that practice. Um, I, I was... We were working with a um, a wonderful uh, vocal trainer a wee while ago, uh, and you know the phrase uh, "practice makes perfect." He did a lovely reframe of that and actually said, "Practice makes habit." Um, and I just think that's a, a, a lovely reminder: is that these practices are there for us to continue to work at them, and then they become habits. And it's those self care habits uh, that we just need to uh, to find. Uh, and keep practicing so that they just become part of our life, as you say, like uh, cleaning your teeth. Uh, they're just kind of built in uh, to the day. I think that's really true. I remember reading up on learning theory yonks ago, and the analogy maybe is to think about a car. So when you don't know you can't drive a car, you're unconsciously incompetent. And then when you decide you're going to try and drive the car, you then become consciously incompetent because you know you can't drive the car. Then you go through this. You can drive the car if you're concentrating on what you're doing, so you're consciously competent. But once you've been driving for a while, you become unconsciously competent so that you drive the car without even thinking about it. And that's why people who drive the car, if you were to stop just now and actually say, walk through the process of starting your car, it would be a eh, eh, uh, because we do it intuitively. And I think that's what we have to get to with self-care, is that we don't realise we're not doing it. We then realise we're not doing it, but we're not very good at doing it. We then do it if we really think about it. But if we do it enough, probably really thinking about it, then it's true, it becomes a routine, and that routine becomes a habit. And then it just becomes instinctive. Um, where you don't think about it anymore. It's like not brushing your teeth. You just do it without, without thinking about That's it. That's really helpful. And I think um, it would be good to kind of maybe move that on to the next thing that kind of connects us nicely uh, into the idea of boundaries. So sometimes people talk about work-life balance, but it kind of suggests that we've got like a finite amount of energy and we need to split it. But I suppose for me, the idea of boundaries is just a bit more comfortable. You know, how do we create those those boundaries uh, between our work selves, uh, our our private lives, our you know our family lives, and ensure that at the heart of all of that, we are still looking after our needs, um, and that we're not just kind of splitting ourselves between. Uh, the many demands on our time and energy. And I know boundaries is something that you've done a lot of thinking about and a lot of writing about. And I wonder if you'd be kind enough to share some of what you've learnt about setting boundaries. Yeah, you're right. And the trouble is, if we don't set boundaries at the beginning, it actually becomes really difficult to then put them in place. So if you imagine you've written a job description to the world, I am a doormat. I will never say no. I will work all those extra hours. No, I don't want paid for it, neither I do. Um, yes, of course I'll watch the, the kids at the weekend. I was going to do some, but it doesn't matter. Your time's more important. If, if we have been 
this kind person who always wants to help others, who finds it really difficult to say no, then it actually can be quite difficult when we decide, no, <laughs> no, I'm not watching the kids at the weekend. I'm going to do something for me at the weekend. Because what we can get is a pushback. And this is one of the things that can confuse us. So it's like, I'm a nice person thinking about others. So why is it when I decide to think about me, people call me selfish? Because if we've created this job description for ourselves, for our life, people have become used to, well, that's who you are. So one of the things when we're starting to re-establish boundaries is that if we feel, and this is in our personal life, but it can also apply in our work life, if we feel maybe, whoa, there's no boundaries here, anything goes, I need to pull this back in a little bit, then it's who are my decisions going to affect and let me create some time to sit down with them and explain. This is how I feel. Um, and I appreciate this is how you feel. But somewhere in here I'm losing myself and I need to take back some time from me as well as still doing X, Y and Z. And I think one of the challenges since lockdown, and especially as well with all the various things that are happening, strikes, etc., is that more is being expected of people in the work. People are dealing with emails when they're not at work, when they're on holiday. And if they're not doing that, they're thinking about it. I was speaking to someone in social work recently, and they were saying that when they're standing doing the dishes, they're replaying their day, decisions that have been made. Did I do the right thing? Did I leave that report? Did I do X, Y, and Z? And the same thing happens for the nursing workforce. When we're feeling under pressure because we'll get so many demands on us, sometimes it can be hard to trust our own judgment. So another reason why boundaries are really important is because if we don't set them, it increases our chances of burnout. So sharing with others why we're creating these boundaries, recognising they're not barricades. So boundaries are there to keep our energy in, not to keep other people out. And sometimes what can happen is, is that, and that's why people get confused. If your job description is, I'm a nice person, and then all of a sudden it's like, I don't believe I keep having to do this. And people are like, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> because it's like a pressure cooker. It's been building up and up and up. So again, part of self-care is recognising to ourselves, how am I feeling just now? And that might even be rehearsing a conversation before you have it with a real person. Writing down what you think, writing down what you feel. And in a workplace, there's compassion circles. There are various ways that people can create that couple of minutes where we just listen to each other without interruption, without judgment, where things can just be released. And that also is important if there's a manager in that circle that they don't feel, oh, I need to take all this on. Because one of the challenges when you're a manager is that sometimes people forget that you're human too. A lot of courses is, now, if you're feeling under pressure or stress, you go and tell your manager. When managers go in training courses, it's, this is what you need to do for your workforce. I ran training for managers around their well-being. And we spent 10 minutes convincing them that they were there for them and not the staff. It's like, get it right for you. You get it right for your team. Because they were so unused to the idea of what you care about me. <laughs> I matter. It's like, yes, you matter too. So there are also boundaries depending on the roles that we have in our team. And it's interesting, there's different schools of thought. So some people feel that if you're in a senior role, that you should be able to tell your team when you're feeling stressed. That's one school of thought. Another school of thought, and I have to admit, this is the one that 
I adhere to, but I'm not saying that's the right one, I'm just saying it's mine, is that if I'm feeling stressed, I may say to the team, there's a lot going on just now, give me a minute to think about that, but I wouldn't actually show them how distressed I was because if we're going through a challenging time, they need to be able to know there's somebody there who's a common influence. However, and that's why I, I, I value yourself, Claire, is because I'm very fortunate to have peers that if I really feel <laughs> that I've got colleagues that I can phone and say, I really need to offload, because we do. And sometimes what people think is it means that, well, if I can't let my team know, I can't let anyone know. Other people feel comfortable sharing with the team, and that's fine. I'm not making a value judgment as it's what works for you. Just saying for me. So setting boundaries initially, maintaining boundaries and bringing boundaries back under control is really important for our well-being. And guilt can get in the road of setting boundaries because we can feel guilty. Oh, no, if I don't do that over time or I don't go out today, this is going to happen. And I think one of the things when we're thinking about boundaries, maybe we need to think about as well as self-care is self-responsibility. We're not responsible for everything. And that's really important. We're only responsible for the little bit that's our responsibility. And sometimes we take on more responsibility than we should, and that too can become a boundary issue. Absolutely. And I know it's something I've, I've <laughs> if I look back, I've done significantly that somehow we uh, we take on uh, all sorts of things that are, are way beyond our control or we take on others' responses to what's going on. Um, and at one level, that kind of feels like the kind thing to do. But at another level, when you actually stop and think about it, it's, um, you know, it kind of makes me a very powerful person if I think I'm in control of all of this and and I'm not. I can only do what, what I can do. Um, and uh, what I'm asked to do is to to be who I am one conversation at a time and, and just show up, um, but not take on everybody else's problems. And I think uh, that's when we find that we're not sleeping because we're turning things over and over and actually creating those uh, those boundaries that that say I can do what I can do and I need to be uh, to be there but I can't take this on because we um, you know our heads would never stop. Um, I was interested what you were saying Hilda about um, finding others there is something about having finding your tribe that if you are a team leader or in a senior position, that it, it may not be appropriate to let uh, what you're carrying spill out or, you know, that, that, that there is a boundary there about what's appropriate to share and not with the wider team. But having somebody or a group of friends or a group of peers who have your back so that you know you have a safe space that you have somewhere where you can offload, uh, somewhere where you are held and supported is really important. And I think for some of us, as you've said, sometimes that's outside of the workplace uh, through professional networks and, and there are more and more spaces uh, that we can find. But to prioritise the time to actually give yourself uh, that safe space uh, to decompress, you know, whether it's a, 
uh, an action learning set or, you know, whatever it is uh, for each of us to find that safe space is really important because all of us need a space where we can be ourselves and share something um, and even just get in touch with uh, how it feels to be me right now uh, and just to to reflect on the extent of what we're carrying. So um, I would uh, also uh, encourage those listening that if you're not sure where your safe space is to, to maybe think about finding it because we all need that that space to decompress somewhere where we know we can be honest about how things are. So also being honest with your team, because what you don't want is making making people who are on your team feel inadequate. So you appear really cool, calm and collected, and they're not. It's actually a saying, I'm fortunate I've got a peer support network. So today isn't about me, today's about the team. We all get stressed. I I have things I do to help me manage my stress. My role here today is what can I do to help you manage the stress the team's going through? Because I think it's important that, because that's why sometimes it can be difficult to ask for help um, because we fear we're going to be judged. Um, But we all need help sometimes. We all need to offload sometimes, and that's okay. Absolutely. And I think there's something about role modelling, isn't it? That, uh, That we are all human and to see our team leaders, our managers, actually acknowledging the fact that they have asked for help from elsewhere, that feels important uh, to make it okay. Um, Hilda, I wanted to kind of move on to maybe some some practical boundaries, things like, uh, you know, our, our physical self-care, having breaks, finishing late, not taking holidays, you know, these sorts of things that were you know, mea culpa, I've, I've done it. This is where within organisations and teams there needs to be cultural shifts. And that's easier said than done because if you've only got one person has turned up that day, but you have got a diary load for three people, then there is the risk that you're going to be on till nine o'clock at night that you are going to skip your breaks. In A&E, we triage. That's another form of boundaries. Um, and the same as within if we're doing working in communities. It's looking at if we only have so many resources, where are we going to direct those resources today that's going to make the most impact? Because one person cannot. Yes, you can have days when you're busy, but not all the time. So if people choose to come in five, ten minutes early because that helps them prep for the day, that's fine. If it's becoming an hour, an hour and a half early, that's not fine. And what happens as well is when we see somebody else, it's all about modelling. When we see someone else doing that and we're in a structure where it's all about promotion as well, then it's like, well, we need to come in at that time. We need to work through our breaks. So by having regular start and stop times, regular breaks, we're more efficient. So actually we get more done. Sounds like sounds counterintuitive. So you have more breaks and you're more effective, but it's actually no, it's true. Having time in team meetings, you know, so at the beginning of the day when there's a team briefing going on, take a couple of minutes to do a breathing exercise. Just take a couple of minutes to be in the moment. Or if that doesn't appeal to the team, share what's a tune that gets you going in the morning um, to make you feel energised. So boundaries are also about how do we create the boundaries to ensure that our energy is protected? 
our energy is maintained and our energy is supported. And that is things like, I know maybe it's a nurse in me, I'm toilet obsessed, but the amount of times, not so much when I went to work in the community, but when I worked in the wards, the amount of times I ended up with cystitis because I just couldn't get to the toilet. You're heading towards the toilet, somebody needs you. You're heading towards the toilet, somebody else needs you. Now, it can be the same for, for people who may be doing a lot of online consultations. You need to go. <laughs> but it's like, no, I'll go after this meeting. That's not good for our body at all. So there, there, are, there are things as human beings we have rights. You know, even a 20-minute break a day, we have rights. So it's putting those boundaries in place. How much administration time do I require? How much administration time do I have? Is there any negotiation on how much of this I have to do? There's also some things where I understand that um, people can be very much on call all the time on their mobile. So it's maybe someone they don't have an appointment with that day, but the person's been encouraged to, no, you can you can contact me anytime. These also are things which at an organisational level need to be looked at because it's about managing expectation of the public. Now, I know that may sound like a contradiction in terms when there's a lot of consultations about what else people are looking for from services, and I get that, but when services are overstretched, I've been led by the voice of the lived experience for more than three decades. People are realistic. When people sit down, so there's also boundaries with your clients, which is if you do need to contact me, this is our appointment time. Um, and here, and you may be a space in your diary, here's when else I may be available. But I'm sorry, I can't immediately get back to you because I'm with other people, just the same as if I was with you, you wouldn't like me to take a phone call from somebody else. So there's also those professional boundaries when we're working with people. And again, it comes into the guilt because we want to be helpful, but we're not giving our total attention to what we're doing just now when we're being distracted by the other things that we need to do. So looking after our physical body by listening to our body signals and carving out space to do that. Also carving out space for our thinking time which is our administration, our reflection on practice, etc., etc. Where do I have that? And then you should practice. And taking the time to actually look at, where's my working day? How's that mapped out? Are there things that I can do that actually can help me regain that sense of balance? It's something only we as individuals can do. But one of the things that, that I do is that I, I will only check my emails at certain times. I won't be distracted by them coming in all the time. And I, I very rarely use the phone. And if I do use the phone, it's a prearranged call because you waste a lot of time. The person's not there, you phone back and so on. So it's find the boundaries that work for you. Absolutely. And I think in this online world, it's you know it's been so difficult you know, so often teams meetings start at on the hour or on the half hour and uh, people assume they have your time up until, you know, the hour, the half hour. And you can wind up just going from one set of screens to the next. Um, and as you say, there isn't time to get up and go to the toilet, to stand up, to uh, to move about, to stretch your, your legs, your spine uh, between meetings. Microsoft Teams has now got a new function that says, you know, start meetings on the on the five past or finish them at the, the five two, just to give yourself 
you know, to take that chance and give yourself that space to to get out of a chair, to stand up, to stretch, to have a comfort break, to uh, to get another drink. And it's just so easy not to do that, to come off one meeting and think, oh, I've got 10 minutes till the next meeting and wind up in your emails and still not getting up and standing and stretching uh, and and having a drink. And uh, uh, just to to introduce that, you know, practice makes habit in terms of, you know, standing up even. Uh, I know that I can go for crazy periods of time without standing and just continue to remind myself to stand up is so important. The other thing as well is for people that still a lot of screen time is to actually let your eyes just focus on infinity because the eye strain that you can have, because sometimes we don't blink as much as we should when we're staring at a screen. And then we find it's like, oh, the world just went all blurry. Where in point of fact, what we have is is eye strain. And just, just for a few minutes looking up and just letting our eyes focus on infinity, blinking a few times, is also another thing that's, that's really important. And these are these are simple things to do. Yeah, and back to breathing. I read uh, a little while ago about there is a, a, a phenomenon called email apnea where you're actually not breathing. So, And I just, I thought that's crazy. And then I, I, I observed myself. And uh, there are times when I'll read an email, I'm trying to compose what I should respond. And I have, I'm breath holding. And uh, just to be really thoughtful about our, you know, back to the respiratory rate, are we hyperventilating or are we breath holding? Just to be thoughtful and uh, to, to ground ourselves again by taking a minute just to slow down and take a few deep breaths, you know, crocodile breathing or circular, you know, whatever your, your, your breath pattern is, or, you know, so many smart watches will encourage you to just to pause for a minute and breathe, but to actually do that from time to time, I've found helpful. Um, but I just wanted to spend a few minutes, Hilda, if, if I might, just kind of thinking about, you know, what happens when it all goes wrong? You know, we know what we should do, but there are times when, you know, it all gets on top of us and we don't. I just wonder if you'd just tell us a, a bit about your experience. You know, what's burnout and how do we know when we're getting close to it? Um, and how do we intervene? Because I just think th- the pace over the last three years has been relentless. And it's really hard, just as you were saying earlier, we're short staffed. The amount of unmet need is is if anything, getting, you know, getting more extreme. When we sense that we're getting to that place, I wonder if you'd just say a bit about um, your experience with that. Humans are inherently compassionate. So you only have to see when there's a tragedy happens in somewhere in the world, even when people are struggling themselves, they'll do what they can to help others. So it is in their nature to be compassionate towards others. When we work in a caring profession, every day we're exposed to the suffering of others. That's our job, to try and alleviate that suffering. And because we're inherently compassionate, then every day we're being exposed to the suffering of others. And if we're not looking after ourselves, and it's day in, day out, Story doesn't seem to be getting any better. Our reticular activating system, which is a filter that we look at the world through, is just telling us it's bad and it's going to get worse. 
then it's a bit like a ball that started off as being pretty resilient. So when you hit it, it bounced. But it's now been hit so many times that air has been knocked out of it and it can't bounce back. And it can be very subtle because it can creep up on you without you realising it. Not caring anymore is one defence mechanism because it hurts when you care. So not caring, and that's an anathema to people in the caring professions because we care. We see someone suffering, we want to help. But that, if we're not looking after ourselves, can make us suffer over time. So one way to get around that is we tighten our professional boundaries. We become very clinical. We become, it's about the gangrene. It's not about the person who has gangrene. It's about treating the wound. Because I can treat the wound. I just think about the wound. I can get through today because I've got 15 other visits that I have to do that also are challenging. But I start to think about the financial problems this person has, the fallout they've had with their family, etc, 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 etc. I will feel overwhelmed. So I'm just going to focus on this bit. But a little bit of this dies. Because deep down inside, we know this isn't why I come in the job. I didn't come in the job just to treat a wound. I came in the job to do something to reduce suffering in people, to promote well-being. So when we experience compassion fatigue, one of the things that can happen is, is that we just we start to doubt ourselves. Why am I doing this? I'm not a good person. I don't care anymore. Our sleep can be disrupted. Our eating habits can go out the window. Our patience and tolerance with our family because it goes back to the mental and emotional load. So I remember doing some work with nurses once and I um, got this myself. You know, they come in from work and someone asks, what's for dinner? And it's like light touch paper and tire. I don't want to make another decision. Yes, absolutely. You know, the weekend's coming and it's like, oh, it's really nice, the weather, what are we going to do? I don't know what we're going to do today. I'm fed up making decisions. So being irritable. Um, and then eventually burnout is where we actually maybe can no longer work. We are now having to go off sick ourselves. The impact that has on our confidence, our guilt, because all of a sudden it's like, oh no, I know what everybody else is going through. Now I'm not in work. And we're caught in this vicious circle. So it's important that we're mindful of our feelings. And that a lot of that is also about the teams that you're in. I'm doing some work just now with someone actually creating a burnout survival guide because they themselves experienced burnout. And what they said it really was a breaking straw for them was, was different environments. So one each team had the same pressures, but one team is another part of the world. One team where barbecues are a lot more common, would have team things that they did, like maybe go to a barbecue or, or do something that they shared together, whereas the other team was very robotic, very very mechanistic. Okay, so some something about that team culture was really supportive. Definitely, because the other thing in a team culture where there's collective care, which is something I'm really passionate about, because as well as looking after ourselves, it's how do we look after each other, is you recognise a colleague starting to struggle and proactively find ways to have a safe space to have a conversation with them about them. Because we all know when people say they're from okay, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Because <laughs> we don't want to admit it's not, because then we might need to do something about it. Yeah. But it's creating that culture of sharing, learning together, being strong together, being vulnerable together, and recognising that they're not exclusive. 
you know, because we feel vulnerable sometimes doesn't mean that, that we, we, we don't still have a lot of strengths within us. It's just that's part of being human. But there's a, a really good professional quality of life scale which you can download um, from the internet. It doesn't replace professional advice. So if someone really does feel they're struggling, they'd be advised to go and speak to a professional. But the ProQL is a really helpful tool to actually look at, am I starting to show any signs of compassion fatigue? And it gives you key pointers to consider of areas that you might want to give attention to. Thank you. And we'll put that in the in the show notes. It just reminds me of that lovely um, Charlie Mackesy um, image that uh, in pandemic was so important for, for folk. You know, the boy says to the horse, what's the bravest thing you've ever said? Uh, and the horse responds, help. And it is, uh, you know, sometimes just recognizing that uh, when we find ourselves at that point uh, where we're not sleeping, that we're being anxious, all those sort of uh, those signs that you that you so beautifully described, Hilda, uh, just to uh, to have the courage to ask for help. So I'm mindful of time, Hilda. I could speak to you all day because I love listening to you. But I wonder if we could kind of uh, draw our conversation to a close, whether you have a couple of top tips for nurses and midwives who are carrying on day by day at the moment in the face of extraordinary pressure. What would your your top tips for uh, for self-care be just now? I would say one is become aware of your inner voice. So actually become aware of the story you're telling yourself about the situation you're in and ask yourself, does the story inspire you? Does how you talk to yourself, is it kind? Would you would you speak to a child that you loved in that way? And if you find actually you're being very self-critical, very down on yourself, and it won't be easy at first, it's change the story. Find a kinder inner voice that reminds you how amazing an individual you are. Because sometimes, especially just now with everything that's happening, sometimes it can be an identity crisis. Almost who am I as a nurse? What do people think of me as a nurse? Think of yourself as a person. A person who cares and wants to make a difference in the world. But there's no point building a kinder, fairer world for everybody else if you don't make space for yourself in that too. There's heaps of tips on our website about reprogramming the reticular activating system, getting back your room if you've lost it, setting boundaries. But the key things are just to remember, be kind and tell yourself, I matter too. Because once you start believing that, all the other things fall into place and you do matter. Thank you, Hilda. That's that's just such an important (laughs) thing to hold on to and uh, a beautiful place to end. Hilda, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for all that you're doing through COPE Scotland. It's making such a big difference to so many in Scotland and beyond. We'll end today's episode with Queen's nurse Jill Dennis, who's a practice nurse in Fife, on the types of boundaries she sets for herself, which you too can perhaps incorporate into your working day. I'm Jill and I work as an advanced nurse practitioner in a busy semi-rural general practice. Every day is full on but rewarding and I feel inspired by constant learning and challenging myself. But thanks to the Queen's Nurse Programme, I understand the importance of self-care practices 
to prevent burnout, but also to enable me to live well and continue to love my work. So what does that mean for me? Timekeeping is essential. It shows I respect my patients who have set aside their time for consultation. But I also respect the value of my own time. Starting and finishing on time, running my clinics with, within the allotted appointment times, offering follow-up when needed, and getting a proper lunch break are key aspects. Feeling connected with colleagues as well as my patients and my community means taking time to inquire and listen about people's concerns. I try to get a lunchtime walk with my nurse colleague. It's always a pleasure and we come back revitalised. I practice yoga and meditation and will often take my yoga mat to work for some lunchtime stretches on wet days. We'll sit quietly for a few minutes of mindful meditation. There are phone apps or online short meditations you can use or just closing eyes and focusing on the body breathing sensations and letting go can give welcome relief from just being in my head. I firmly believe that compassion for ourselves and others is something we best access through connecting with our hearts. If I'm having a difficult day, I put my hand over my heart and allow myself to feel soothed. It's amazing the physical and emotional ease of that. I try to cycle to work and listen to the birds and feel the sun on my face. I try to eat healthily most of the time, but don't beat myself up about enjoying cakes when they're available. And when I do these things consistently, I feel I can completely focus on my patients and show them the compassion they deserve. Thank you for listening. All the things that we've talked about are in the show notes, links to things that Hilda has spoken about, uh, links to Cope Scotland. So do please connect in with the resources that are there and please take care of yourself. And for now, goodbye.